Okay. I'm speaking today, so let me just switch gears here quick. Is this clear? It's the first time I've used the head mic. Is it coming through okay? All right. Didn't know if I need to reposition this at all. Oh, kids are dismissed. Sorry. They already know. (laughs) Bring it closer. Is that good? Thank you. Thanks for letting me know. Okay. So today I'm going to be talking about women in leadership. And, um, um, yeah, so that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Women in leadership. So uh, I'm a pastor because I feel like God's called me to be an overseer here um, of this fellowship. And I've felt a pull to ministry um, for many years, but being a pastor wasn't something that I pursued until um, Brent was ready to retire and he... uh, felt like the Lord wanted his leadership team to take over as a pastoral team. And um, so um, I follow God's path, you know, the path he set before me and uh, became part of the pastoral team here. If you're visiting today, we are a pastoral team of five people. Um, Bree, who was just up here, BJ, who was playing the bass, Jonathan, who's usually in the back, has stepped away, and Joe, who's not here this morning. So there's five of us. Um, and, um, and it made sense. So I followed that path and I've seen good fruit here, uh, this last year and, and it's been good. Uh, it's been good. So I obeyed the Lord and it wasn't until that time, um, that I really began to think about women as pastors. Um, I hadn't really thought about it too much before. And, um, but I knew that some people in the church at large, um, are against women as pastors. And I hadn't um, really thought about that before. And to them, to some people, it can be heresy for a woman to be speaking or to be leading up in front of church. And so um, through some circumstances, like I had never really felt before I became a pastor um, less than as a woman until I became a pastor. And that is kind of sad. <laughs> and um and although um, I know that there's some women in churches, you know, around the world that, and especially in America, that have felt that even longer than I have in the church. And so this last summer, someone had made a reference to me about a woman at another church, and it wasn't somebody at this church that was talking to me about it, but a woman in another church that couldn't lead because Eve uh, sinned first based on um, their interpretation of First Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. And I didn't say much at the time because I didn't know how to respond to that. And I walked away from the conversation with that stuck in my head and I was really stirred up inside and I was, I was getting angry and I, I wasn't sure if I was angry at God, if I was angry at the Apostle Paul, if I was angry at the church at large, but I didn't understand, um, why, uh, all people are redeemed from the curse, uh, except for women. And, um, and I didn't know, um, and especially married women, you know, that single women, they could still do whatever they wanted to, but married women, uh, couldn't. And, um, and I cried out to the Lord and he quickly led me to a website, 
um, margmasco.com. And Marg is a theologian. She lives in Australia, and she uh, specializes in early, you know, New Test, uh, early church. New Testament and Jewish studies, but she also uh, talks a lot about um, women in leadership, mutuality in relationship with husband and wives, um, and how, you know, explains the scripture a lot, and that all made sense, and it all rang true with my spirit. And um, so I read blog post after blog post and realized that I wasn't alone in my thoughts about biblical womanhood. And so this led me to dive deeper into the word. And I also found other books and podcasts that spoke about women in leadership. Um, one other book that I read that was really helpful was called The Making of Biblical Womanhood. And so this last half a year, um, that's what's been on my mind. And uh Learning what does the Bible say about women? What has the church over time um, distorted or misinterpreted? Um, what has patriarchy kind of influenced in that, in the way that we look at the scripture? Um, and uh, um, so regarding women. So starting disclaimer, I'm not an expert on this topic in any way. I feel like I'm just scratching the surface, and there's still so much I want to read and learn. Um, but in my spirit, I feel that it's time to begin sharing what I'm learning. And uh, a topic like this can confront the way that we've been taught in certain things, and it can feel like offense. And so I encourage you to not take offense. Um, you know me. I love you. Um, you love me. And if you have any questions after the um, the sermon, please talk to me, and I'll do my best to answer your questions or get resources to you. Um, this is a good opportunity to dig deeper into the Word and prayer and to hear what the Lord um, has to say to you regarding women in ministry. And I think that if you're here today, and if you haven't already walked out the door, um, that you're okay with women pastors. And um, so, and if that's the case, this may help you to be able to respond to people that are wondering, um, you know, how you're okay with a woman pastor, you know, let alone one woman pastor, but two women pastors. Um, so let's get started. Um, we're going to start with uh, mostly focus on this passage, 1 Timothy 2, 8 to 15. Leading up to this scripture, um, Paul is talking with Timothy, um, and Timothy is the um, is there in Ephesus. This is regarding the church in Ephesus. Timothy is there. He's helping to take care of some problems and some heresies and things like that at the church in Ephesus. Um, so uh, Paul is talking to him about worship in the church at Ephesus. So um, let's start here. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. So um, let's go ahead and we'll start breaking this down. 
First Timothy two eight. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. So this verse addresses the attitude of some Corinthian men uh, during worship in whatever house they were worshiping in, that they should worship without being angry and without quarreling. Very pretty straightforward. Um, in First Timothy chapter one, it talks about. Um, some quarreling that was happening about genealogies and different things that involved the false teaching that was going on. So it may relate to this as well. Um, this is also not commanding that only men should pray out loud when we gather together. Some people believe that. And so just kind of clarifying that there. But we're all called to pray in the spirit on all occasions. And um, so let's move on to uh, verse 9 to 10. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So uh, these verses are addressing wealthy women. Not all women in Corinth and the early churches and any of the early churches were wealthy women. They were women of all um, economic statuses there, and I would say probably most of them weren't wealthy, but there were wealthy women. So this is addressing wealthy women in the Corinthian church that may have been flaunting their wealth, or maybe it gave them a sense of holiness um, to dress that way. So um, Paul is uh, telling these women to dress respectably, modestly, and not flaunt their wealth um, when they come together in worship. Um, not displaying their wealth or their body. Sorry. Okay. Um, Verse 11 to 12. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. So notice how Paul switched from addressing men and women in the previous verses to addressing a woman, and a man in these verses. And that's important as it shows us that he's most likely talking about a specific woman and a specific man, not um, women and men everywhere for all time. The Greek word gyna for woman in these verses uh, can also be translated as wife, and the Greek word word for man, andros, can be translated as husband. So it's also possible that Paul is referring to a specific wife and husband in these verses. And in in some of his letters, he's not specific about the people that he's talking about. These letters, you know, they were transferred, people were carrying them, they were read out loud, they were read aloud amongst other churches. So he doesn't always call people out specifically, because the people within these small home churches, they know who he's talking about. Um, let's see. Let's take a look at 1 Timothy 1, 5-7 for just a moment. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So this last verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Um, It's very possible that this is why the woman is instructed to not teach and to remain quiet. Uh, She could have been teaching, um, 
trying to teach a doctrine that was different from what Paul had taught to the Ephesian church. And early Gnostic literature uh, shows that they believe some very backwards things about Adam and Eve, that uh, Eve was created first and she gave life to Adam, um, and that Adam was the one that sinned first. And so um, these Gnostic heresies were creeping into the church, and so it's very possible that Paul was correcting this. Um, there's other theories that she was formerly involved in the temple of the goddess Artemis, who was um, prominent, the prominent goddess in Ephesus, and was infusing those teachings um, and those things in there, and was also trying to be a dominant woman because she was used to being that way in the other temple. But according to Marg uh, Moscow, um, the early source texts and inscriptions don't really support a large number of women serving at the temple. So it's possible, but not necessarily the reason for the correction from Paul. So she was also exercising authority over a man, possibly her husband, and um, no believer should be dominating another believer, male or female. Um, Remember Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We talked about our one another's several months ago. So it's not not that women everywhere should be submitted to all men, quiet in church, and not able to teach or lead. This specific woman needed correction on what she was teaching and her dominating behavior. Verse, um, oh, I did have that. Verse 13 and 14. uh, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. So I think this is what Paul was correcting. This is what the woman was teaching. Um, You know, I just mentioned that uh, the early Gnostics taught that Eve was created first and gave life to Adam. Paul is correcting that. And um, since Adam was first uh, created first and Eve sinned first, um, this doesn't discredit women from teaching um, because... Uh, They are a woman, and Eve was a woman, so that doesn't in any way discredit us from teaching. Verse uh, 15, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. So this this verse uh, baffles many, but part of the false teaching that was happening in Corinth was also that having sex um, did not lead to holiness. And that wasn't just sex outside of marriage, but it was also in marriage as well. So it was leading um, some people to abstain from um, sex and therefore having children um, within marriage because they thought that that made them holier. Um, And so uh, um, Paul could be assuring the woman that she can still be saved if she has children um, if they... It says they, so if they, the husband and wife, continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So uh, verse 11 to 15 has caused a lot of debate amongst scholars and translators. The Greek is tricky, and I'm learning it's not straightforward when I look at my Strong's Concordance. Um, For, you know... uh, For translation, uh, Greek writing calls back to certain sections, um, and, you know, even down to definitive articles aren't always there in the Greek, and they have to add it in in the English, and I also have to Google and remind myself what a a definite article is, and, um, and I should have you, Stacey, give me some grammar English, um, (laughs) 
remind myself of these things. Um, also, uh, yes, but these verses are not um, as plain and definitive of a statement on women being able to be a pastor and teach men as what some try to make it be. So you might be thinking, Tabitha, there were a lot of perhaps and possiblies in your uh, explanation of the scripture passage, and that's true. Um, there's a lot of debate um, regarding these verses, and in the book Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood by Wayne Grudem and John Piper, they make the case that these verses plainly state that women are not to teach men, therefore they cannot be pastors. Even in their explanation, they use uh, possiblies, but their conclusion eliminates so many women from using the gifts the Spirit gave them uh, to do their part in the Great Commission. And they would say that the Holy Spirit couldn't possibly give that gift to a woman because it goes against Scripture, but it doesn't go against Scripture. When Paul talks about spiritual gifts and the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, he doesn't say that this gift is only for men and this gift is only for women. Uh, we're all the body of Christ, and it is applicable to all of us. Uh, we can't look at women in ministry through the lens of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 only. We need to look at what Paul says in his other letters, and very importantly, how Jesus treated women. So before that, um, we need to remember that the New Testament church was not set up like we know the church today. Uh, they met in house churches, and there could be several house churches in a city. You'll notice Paul refers in his greetings uh, to Philemon. Not sure if I put it here. In Philemon chapter one, verse one to two, uh, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So, um, the meeting in home, and in Romans chapter sixteen, verse three to five. Greet Prisca, we also know her as Priscilla, um, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert in Christ in Asia. So um, this passage leads us to another noteworthy item about pastors. Paul calls um, Priscilla and Aquila fellow workers or co-workers in Christ Jesus. This is how Paul refers to many people who are preaching and teaching the good news. He doesn't call them pastors. He doesn't give them a title. Priscilla and Aquila are the pastors of their um, church in their home, and they are not labeled as Pastor Priscilla and Pastor Aquila. Um, also remember that Priscilla is a woman, and uh, she is teaching the word. In Acts 18, verse 26, um, uh, Apollos is, is teaching, and um, that is the he. So he, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So uh, Priscilla and Aquila um, explained to Apollos, Priscilla a woman, Apollos a man. And it also is interesting that Priscilla is always um, listed first, um, and it's not that way a lot of times with other people. So that's just also an interesting note. So in addition to co-worker, Paul refers to fellow ministers as brother or sister, deacon, apostle, and fellow laborer. 
and he uses these terms for men and women. So in addition to Priscilla, let's look at a few of Paul's female co-workers in Christ. And Romans 16 is a good place to start. This is a big passage. I don't want you to get lost in all the names, but there are women sprinkled all throughout this. So I really want to uh, read through it and then... Um, and then we'll talk about a couple of the women, just briefly. Um, so, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, and the Greek there for servant actually means deacon. Um, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Century... I even looked this up, how to pronounce it. Um, sen- uh, anyways, we're going to move on. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. And help her in whatever way she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, our fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert in Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they are, were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Those are women. Greet the beloved Persis, also a woman, who, was, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Biologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. I butchered a lot of those names, but you get the point. <laughs> so, Phoebe was a deacon in Sancrie. Um, she was a leader, and Paul trusted her to carry this letter to the Romans. Um, a deacon was not just a leader under a pastor, like we know today. The deacons were the leaders. Um, Prisca, a fellow worker, or Priscilla, a fellow worker in Christ, Mary, Junia, which you may, if you have an older Bible, her name may be um, translated as Junius. It was originally translated as a man's name, um, but it's not. They found it's, um, she's a woman. So Junia, um, who, along with her husband, were noteworthy among the apostles. Those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa and Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. So these women are Paul's co-workers in the Lord. Uh, there are more examples in Paul's letters, like the church that gathers at Chloe's house in 1 Corinthians 1. But I think this chapter 16 of Romans is a good sampling. The believers in the early church were working hard to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. They were all doing it, male and female. Just as we are called uh, in the Great Commission to preach the gospel and make disciples, all of us, male and female. So this to me does not look like women being silent. And in the house churches where some of these women ministered, they would have had authority even over men. 
that I like how Marg Moscow addresses that authority. And this is a quote from her. Furthermore, many Christians are stuck on the idea that women can't be church leaders because of a faulty notion of authority. The authority to minister, however, is not an authority over fellow believers, but an authorization and giftedness from God to function in a certain ministry. Genuine Christian ministry is not about exercising authority over people, but about humbly serving them. And I very much like how she worded that. And I think that's how our pastoral team tries to lead, um, by serving. I want to read Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I've been reading this every day, this passage. It's been really encouraging to me to remember. In Christ, we are all equal, and we are all free from the curse that began when Adam and Eve sinned. And this is good news for all of us. God does not have favorites, and when Jesus came, he showed us how to humble ourselves and serve one another. Jesus was constantly showing that the people that were considered less than in society had value to him. Jesus and Paul weren't making a huge disruption in society by holding protests or appealing to Caesar or the governor about the rights of women and slaves and the poor. Uh, This would have ended their ministry very quickly. Both of them were trying to... um, not be crazy disruptive because it would have brought problems down on um, believers in the church. It would have brought, could have brought Jesus to, uh, to be arrested or, or his time to come too soon, which was why he told people don't say anything on certain issues, certain things. Um, So, um, but Jesus took time with the woman at the well who went and told other people in Samaria about him And he allowed the woman with the alabaster jar to anoint him with oil. And only men were allowed to anoint the king. He let Mary of Bethany sit at his feet with his male disciples and learn. After his resurrection, he appeared to Mary Magdalene first. And she told the disciples about the risen king, the apostle to the apostles. They were changing things from the inside, breaking down hierarchy The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And teaching us how God values his children and how we are to do that as well. So um, this is leading me on to other things now. Um, So I'm going to come back to this another day, and we'll talk more about women in the Bible and verses on male headship and household codes, most likely, uh, in the coming months. And so because my views have changed on that as well. Um, And so I hope that all of this helps you to understand why we believe uh, here that it's biblical, that women can lead. And if you're not convinced, that's okay. But please do as I did, pray and ask um, the Lord questions. Uh, This whole journey, I have been open to correction from the Lord, and I've asked him uh, to to correct me um, if I'm not right, if women really aren't supposed to lead Um, to show me because I want to do his will. And I felt the Lord say to me, I led you to this for a reason. Keep going. So that's what I'm doing. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you've equipped the whole body 
to spread your word, to spread your good news uh, that you came and you saved us and you gave us life. We thank you that you turned things upside down from what, from how it was in the world. And we love you. Fill us, Holy Spirit, as we go out this week, that we would show your love to others, that we would hear you so clearly, and that we would do your will. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.